somewhere not on Ravnica, Spirit Dragon Ugin and Dragon Spirit Nivmizit trade witty banner in cryptic sentences as they hang out in the meditation realm. Well, this is not what I was expecting from being dead, Nivmizit says from his mechanical clockwork receptacle. You sure this will work? Gosh, we're so smart. Because we're dragons and spirits and all. Work is such a mundane concept. Ugin the spirit dragon says. We have planned this for eons. Like ripples in a pond. Like the beating of a butterfly's wings. Like my famous shortbread cookies in the oven. Everything has been set in motion. And I will be here to raise the curtains. Will you ever stop talking about curtains? Oh god, somebody resurrect me already. Ugin breaks the fourth wall and winks at the readers. Let's go, girls. Dun, 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 dun. War of the Spark. Gonna kill some planeswalkers. Gonna harvest their sparks. I'm gonna go and kill them all. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, man. I can't remember what I said after that. <laughs> the best thing about a being in a dragon. dragon is our prerogative to become a god thing. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Can Give I me that Domri. Give me that Faden. Give me that Gideon. Oh, 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 oh. Living as dragons, doing dragon things. Oh, oh, oh. I got a big army. And I'm a god pharaoh. And I got four eternals. Whoa, uh, oh. I got uh, all this other stuff, and you should fear me now. Man. I, I feel, feel like, like a dragon. dragon. Alright. The prelude's the best part of the novel. (laughs) (laughs) With that, let's just do a quick intro before we head into the rest of our summary. I am one of your hosts, and welcome to the Lorequaves. I'm I'm Michelle. (laughs) I'm Justin. I'm A.E. I'm musically tone deaf. (laughs) Also known as Bob. (laughs) <laughs> but who is actually doing a really good job yeah, so don't, yeah don't, great. don't 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 cut yourself short like that uh so we are going to be to all of our wonderful listeners out there breaking down war of the spark into i guess a couple of different parts just so we can discuss it on the podcast for the next few weeks but in the meantime let's go ahead and give a quick thanks to our sponsor card kingdom if you want to go ahead and support the lore waves and if you need some of those beautiful war of the spark cards maybe some of those japanese alternate art ones they're so pretty i may or may not have ordered two boxes from my lgs wow (laughs) japanese boxes yes i'm gonna crack all of those packs Uh, kids don't try this at home (laughs) (laughs) um so if you're if you're looking for some of that sweet sweet action in terms of japanese alternate art go ahead and hit up cardkingdom.com slash lorgoifs and if you type in the little notes section that you'd like a lorgoif sticker they will put a sticker in for you we all also like to thank our patrons each week and this week's winner is William congratulations you have won a benthic biomancer hooray and Whoa. I chose this one not only because I like merfolk um, but with all the counter proliferate shenanigans which we're seeing in this next set it might get even better and it is quite good already in merfolk I wrote the flavor text I am my own life's work so here a simic is building himself into a more perfect form so, I mean, we will really have to adapt to this new format. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was really counting on it. Oh. We're God, also giving out a copy <laughs> of The War of the Spark. Yes. So um, stay tuned, and we will be giving everyone directions on how to get that lovely copy, I believe, next week. So stay tuned. You will be getting a signed 
copy of War of the Spark, um, hopefully for free from us. Signed, signed by all of us. All of us. What there are so many blank pages in the back of the book, and I'm really excited to just doodle all I over know. them. You might get doodles in the back of the book, you too. You may get doodles. Yay! Duties! I'm really good at drawing eggplants. <laughs> okay. Yikes! <laughs> on, on that note, I think let's 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 delve right back in. But into... they're magical eggplants. <laughs> I mean, you can draw them in all you want, but if you can't let, capitalize, what are you going to do about it? Let's let's let's, let's head back no, into let, let's, War of the Spark. Before then, let's inform our dear listeners how we're going to do this. So today we're going to cover the about the first half of Act One, and we're going to then co- uh, cover a similar sec. sec- section every week going forward. Now, we have discerned, much to our surprise, that the War of Spark does not cover any of the content from uh, Guilds of Ravnica or Ravnica Allegiance. That content was written by Django Wexler, and it has not been released. And uh, I think this is one of my um, greatest, not a pleasant surprise, which I had with this story. If you wish to wait and read that first, you may be waiting for a long time. But if you wish to do that, you can skip the ne- this in the next four episodes and come back to that later. But we will be talking about the plot section by section. And it does come after uh, Wexler's stories. So I think if I had my druthers, I would have read the Wexler stories first. Essentially, since we've been waiting for uh, close to a year for uh, plot content, and then we had it skipped over, it did, f- it did feel jarring. Um, also, to our listeners out there, if you are currently reading the novel... We'll always try and give you the warning of kind of what we're talking about, because yeah. while we're funny and we do it in a great way, we are spoiler-laden. Oh, <laughs> yes. For, yes. For, the, for the full primer, we suggest you go back and listen to our very first episode, episode one, <laughs> on when we were talking about Kaladesh, yes. and then listening to all of the episodes, and then... We're going to read Django stories and then do a bunch of episodes on Django stories. Listen to those episodes and then come back to this episode so that you can listen to the War of the Spark novel coverage. It's complicated. Did you say Lord of the Spark? We will, yes. Lord, we of, might the Lord, Lord of, of the Spark. Spark. So <laughs> we, we will be covering, we will not be spoiling the entire novel Jay today, to just the first the, quarter about. Jace needs to drop the one ring into the, <laughs> the fires of Mordor. You can do it, Jace. You can do it. Oh, I was thinking more like like Lord of the Dance and suddenly the gate watches doing the river jig, <laughs> trying to get Nickel yeah. Bruce to go away. Might as well have. I was thinking Lord of the Flies with all of the little planeswalker kids stuck on an island. Nicole Nicole Ball is just yeah. laughing. And they just have like Azor's head on a pike. Sorry. Oh. Spoilers. Oh. Spoilers for Lord of the Flies. Oh my goodness. If you have not seen that or read it. Okay. Can you really spoil a 50 year old, 100 year old novel? You know what? People get upset with me for spoiling the ending of like the picture of Dorian Gray. And that book is like literally almost 200 years old. So you know I what? spoiled Old Yeller for my boss the other day. Oh my gosh. What? She was like, what do you do with a program like this? And I was like, you take it out back and you old yeller it. And she's like, what does that even mean? And I was like, oh, no. Anyway, on that note, let's begin. Way down the table. Oh, yes, on that note of death, let's head back. Okay. And uh, we're going to start with the first half of Act One. The best thing about a being a dragon. Little baby teenage Teo Varada trudges along in the desert, the twin sons of Tatooine, uh, I mean, Gobakan, being down on him, his fellow students, and their flatulent pack beasts, as Teo contemplates the miracle of indoor plumbing. 
No, really, he is actually amazed by indoor plumbing, which he assumed was why his capital city was named Oasis. Suddenly, a diamond dust storm begins to rain carrots of sharp, pointy carbon on their trail, and Teo brings up his magical shields to help protect himself and his farty steeds. Triangles! Gotta make more! Ugh! Wish I could make quadratic polygons instead, or circles! Those are much cooler! Teo thinks to himself, as the diamonds increase in size and frequency, Teo strains to hold his shields when his spark ignites and he lands face first on Ravnica and Karin Crete! Oi! What's your name, Governor? A cheeky girl asks him as Teo stares at literally a violet-eyed exposition device, a.k.a. girl named Rat, looks down at him. You're probably a planeswalker, aren't you? Uh... I know all about planeswalkers, and my charming and very convenient ability to keep talking for long periods of time allows me to give you the information you and a reader might need. Uh... You're on Ravnica, which is not your home plane, I think. Uh... Guess what? You can planeswalk. Uh... There are ten guilds here. You're in the Trans Guild Promenade. There's a big evil dragon coming to take over everything. Uh... The Ravnica National Anthem Ah, wait, wait, wait. I just literally got here. Teo says. My name's Teo, and who are you? I'm, my name is Rat. Rat says. Let's get moving. This plot waits for no one. She grabs his hand and tugs him away. Plot? Are are we plotting? Who's plotting? Meanwhile, on Kaladesh... Chandra lounges around with Karn, Johnny, Jace, Jaya, and Teferi as they wait for Gids. Gideon and his pectorals finally show up, Woo! muscles rippling and shiny in the Kaladeshi sunset. Yes. I couldn't find her, Gideon said. I did find this How to Train Your Dragon ticket. Posing in front of a window with sunlight cascading over his flexing arms, chiseled chin, and golden polished chest armor, sparing no detail of the statuesque physique underneath. Liliana did planeswalk away, but not to Ravnica. Not here, either. I did see these pretty lights, though. I told you so, Chase says. Let's get back to Ravnica, where those pretty lights are, so we can get this whole operation not fall into Bowles' huge trap started. The group goes back to Ravnica, where those pretty lights shine from the Izzet signal tower. They meet up with a frazzled Ralzeric, a hassled Lavinia, and a tired Kaya. We let them begin, Ral said. Rohan, I mean planeswalkers from across the multiverse should show up to help. And if they don't show for those, they'll show for these! Gideon says, flexing his bicep. Welcome back, Jace. Lavinia says. You suck as a guild pact. While you were gone, Bolas put his agents into the guilds, Asperia got petrified. Still not dead! And my hair has gone from professional pullback to disorderly mess. Ugh. I mean, I'm not sure why, but now Dovin Bon is in charge of the Azorias, Vraska betrayed us again, and one of our best Rakdos friends got killed. Jeez, I'm sorry. Jace says. I could only wish I could have read Django Wexler's stories sooner, so I wouldn't have to learn about all this through exposition. I'm in charge of the Orzhov now, Kaya says. But I never realized destroying the patriarchy would create so much paperwork. Alright, let's deal with that stupid dragon. Jace says. I'm literally the law here, so I can literally make him illegal. Then Gideon can stab Bolas with a black blade or whatever after Teferi does his timey-wimey stuff. Look! Jaya says. In the sky above New Prague. It's a bird, meow! Johnny says. Is it a plane? Chandra asks. It's the mortal sun. Jace grits his teeth. We've all planeswalked right into a trap. Who could have foreseen this? A random fish-headed planeswalker appears in Jace's sanctum. It's, it's a, a trap! Meanwhile... <laughs> Witness me, 
puny mortals. Bolas spreads his wings wide as his shadow falls across the streets of Ravnica. Look, Liliana, look at all the alliteration. I made a big stone thing across from the guild pack's office where your boy toys are probably plotting more alliteration. Ah ha 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 It's so much bigger than their building. How foolish, bah. Liliana and Tezzeret both clutch their ears, overwhelmed by Bolus's booming. Bolus, can you, like, not talk in all caps all the time? It's just really loud and unnecessarily over the top. Over the top! I will soon be a god. No, a god emperor. No, an emperor god emperor. Look, I made a statue of myself. Whee! Tezzeret's brow creases. Mm, didn't someone do that on Arrakis? Wait, you want to be a sandworm? Hush, you! Bolus moves as if to sit down, then realizes he doesn't have a throne. So he conjures one out of thin air and pure ego, then drapes himself over it luxuriously. Now... Open the bridge, you Ethereum-riddled idiot. The sparks must flow. Tezzert opens the planner bridge over the embassy of the Guild Pact. Liliana furrows her brow this time. I hope no one was in there. Oh god, they were all in there! Jay shouted. <laughs> Around him, Gideon, Teferi, and Lavinia gape open-mouthed at the ruins of the Embassy of the Guild Pact, where Sean, Regina, Karn, and Ajani were waiting for them. Oh no, they were, they're not in safe after all! Uh, no, we're fine. Sean, Regina, and others pop out of the rubble unharmed. We're good. Uh, is that the, the planar bridge or whatever, the one from Kaladesh? Mm, seems like it. Gideon grunts, giant pecs twitching in annoyance. Oh no, Liliana's up there, and she's gore- I'm, I mean, she's leading an army of the Eternals! What?! The elite fighters of the Amonkhet that will raise us all to the ground? Chandra says. They were super OP, and- Oh no! Liliana! I'm so angry with her right now! Chandra's hair catches on fire! We will have to kill her to stop this army, Gideon says. All right, let's take down some blue zombies. War of the spark. War of the spark. Bolas is sitting down from every angle of the planeswalkers mentioned in the story in every chapter rising from the ground. Planet portal opens. So with that lovely summary, let's go ahead and move on to our wonderful ad brought to you this week by a couple of furry friends. Meow. No. We know you're an independent feline, always on the run, never staying still for too long. We know you can't always provide for your favorite humans. There's just not enough half-eaten birds and lizards on Ravnica to show your appreciation for those special pets in your life. That's why your friends at V2Gazi Gifts developed a special treat for all those lovable whittle humans in your life. Generous stray, big mood, human treats. <laughs> Whoa, take it easy there, quasi-feral kitty. V2Kazi Gifts only selects premium-grade, in-season reptiles, birds, and rodents delivered fresh and warm to your favorite human's porch, balcony, or shoe. Fully intact or partially separated, 
placed at just the right angle for them to step on. Busy napping? No worries. Our delivery service runs 24-7 and extends throughout most of Ravnica, so you can put your comfort first, just like you always do. Generous stray, big mood, human treats. Look at what the cat dragged in. Oh, it's still so good. Oh, God, it's still alive! Ah! No. Well, um, I, that explains a lot as to why Lady Supples has been leaving me these giant half-eaten worms in my bed. Seems like she's really dishing out a lot of money for these uh, big mood human treats. Because she loves you. She does. Most of the time. Uh, yeah, about 80% of the time when I'm not touching her belly. Or offering her belly to other people to touch. The one thing I worry about this is that they didn't actually tell us what currency they take. And I don't know what a generous stray keeps in their wallet. You so know. I'm worried it's harvested <laughs> souls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she is a bit of a Twilight Panther, so well, I'm not a, entirely surprised. It's, it's V2 Gazi gifts, right? So they probably have some sort of exchange. Yeah, it's a probably barter a barter system. system. So she probably goes out, like, I don't know, maybe gently bats a mouse to death <laughs> for her gentle mouse beating services. They give her some of this. Well, you know that cats often kill way more than they need to, right? Oh, that's so, so true. So perhaps you just take the surplus of what you kill and then you like bank on it so that you can take the extra amount. And then like on the days where you're not really feeling like a killer, which is not very often. <laughs> Then you have this surplus of treats that you can give to your humans. I, I'm down for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that explains a lot. Thank you so much, Lady Snuffles. And thank you so much, Vitu Gazi, for your wonderful human big mood treats. I enjoy them greatly. And I hope that our lovely listeners out there will enjoy them, too. During one of the interviews that I heard from Greg Wiseman, he mentioned that he loves Shakespeare, and I, th I think we can see that manifest in two ways in this story. One is in the prelude, where they kind of have a somewhat a Shakespearean start, where like, all oh, these planeswalkers will strut their hour and a half on the stage. Oh, uh, yes, it's very Henry the the seventh. Yeah, is it, I think it's Henry the seventh or Henry the fourth. I forget precisely which Henry. I mean, they all just blend together at some point or another. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that there's definitely an attribute to Shakespeare to some extent. I mean, like we did not actually make up the curtains bit. Like Ugin does make a reference to curtains in the prologue. Um, and there's and definitely. New Mizzet does call him out on it. Yeah. yeah. He does call him out. He's like, ah, the curtains. Why do you keep talking about curtains? Because they're chiffon. <laughs> they're really nice. Turns out the meditation realm is basically just an eighties music video, an eighties Bonnie Raitt music video. It is. It is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turn around, Ugin. <laughs> Every now and then I make a plan. <laughs> Turn around, Ugin. <laughs> Gonna trap my brother here for you. Every forever. I love his yeah. name, the new name, Ugin the Ineffable. I, I, I think that's very good. Yeah. And um, this fabric's so nice and flowy. And I can't wait to cut it up. It almost makes me forget how he's annihilated all my permanents, colored permanents, so often. That punk! So we do start in kind of a media, in Midias Rest, right? In, um, where Niv-Mizzet is strangely inside a little mechanical locket. Not unlike the lockets that we have been sacking for four mana uh, to draw two cards. We don't really know how he got here at this point. Uh, we just know that he is... Now here, he is cradled in the uh, colorless bosom of um, Ugin, mm -hmm. and they're just kind of chilling out, and 
one-upping each other a little bit on this realm. I, I do like this little banter between Ugin and uh, Niv-Mizzet, because Niv-Mizzet's super vain. Um, I think all dragons are actually kind of vain, honestly. I agree. Uh, so Ugin, I think, also just puts him in his place as, like, D- my dude. My dude. Uh, I just love the play on words. You got the dragon spirit with the spirit yeah, dragon. Yeah, the dragon spirit and the spirit yeah, dragon. Yeah, but, but I think that Ugin likes to be like, yo, it's very important to know that I am the spirit dragon, which is better than a dragon spirit. Yeah, my name is capitalized. <laughs> <laughs> I am the ineffable. Yeah. Don't you know my CM converted monocost? Don't you know that? I could just exile you like... Right now. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> like right now. So we, we do start off here. We don't really know precisely what's what's going on, but it seems like Ugin is like just hanging out with Niv-Mizzet on the meditation plane, waiting, waiting for the curtains so, to rise. Chiffon curtains. So, I, many, so much <clears throat> chiffon. <laughs> when I read this, I, I felt like Ugin didn't sound ineffable enough to me when I was reading this. But then I remembered that there's going to be over 200 characters that Greg Weiss was not really familiar with, and he had just had such a hard job. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on, on some, a lot of these things. I think that he, the task he was given was ex- extraordinarily difficult. Especially I agree. Because they asked him to kind of throw all these characters to get together in an Avengers-style movie, but not leave any reader behind. Like, Assuming that readers go in knowing none of them. So, like, imagine if you went into the uh, Avengers Infinity War just knowing none of those characters. And the movie just kind of assumes you that you do, and you're going to be confused the whole time. This book does not do that. It has a glossary, and it has, within the text itself, an incredible amount of... a summary of what happened I, before. And I that, want to be careful what we call a glossary because it's only like ten characters deep. And okay, it's only the gate watch. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, a principal character. It's the characters. main principal character. Yeah, but it's also the guilds. Yeah, and the guilds. But um, other than that, it's also though, in like, Latin, isn't it? <laughs> um, just because you can't read Justin doesn't mean it's in Latin. It's a dramatis oh, persona. persona. <laughs> Personae. <laughs> With a little AE. It's just like what I use in the mornings to shampoo my hair. <laughs> Dramatic. For a little something. extra character. But to bounce off what AE is saying, I think it, it does build an interesting uh, source for the book. To me, it reads almost like a screenplay. It does. We're not learning about Ravnica. Like, we know that they're in the guild senate, but we have no idea how he, uh, our author, um, Wiseman, um, actually sees the Senate. It's shape, it's any of that. It's strictly dialogue and character actions. Absolutely. It we, is, yeah. No, continue. Sorry. For um, you know, sh- it occurs to me that maybe why I liked it so much. Because <laughs> okay. as in franchise player, I'm familiar with Ravnica. I'm familiar with some of these things. I didn't really enjoy the narrative summary, but uh, I w- didn't need that filling in because I've seen the card art, essentially. Yeah, I think, I think there's a give and take here. I would have liked a little bit of grounding to the characters. Like, as they're entering the the what is it the Senate building with Jace's library, uh-huh. like just a little bit to describe that you know give, give me a little bit of dust on the books because Jace never goes here. There give was me, mention of dust in the books. I this much, that's it. Give me a little more than that. There was exactly that much dust. <laughs> by, there by, is a <laughs> dusting of setting scene description throughout. Like, it, it, I want yeah. just a touch more. I want to understand the ambiance. I want to understand the panic that is going on because this stupid dragon just showed up who I love. 
<laughs> let's let's be clear here. I, I completely agree with your assessment of this book so far, reading very much like a screenplay. It, it reads actually a lot like almost like a, a JRPG a little bit, but even less because uh, we don't usually in a JRPG, like we are able to look uh, because it's a visual medium at the grandeur of like, Oh, you know, Cloud's going to beat Sephiroth and they're in this epic cathedral thing and they're going to fight. It's going to be super cool. But here we really just see like, okay, so they arrive, they're in an apartment and then they go to another place and then Kaya's like, yo, (laughs) and then there's a corpse and no one really wants to talk about her. (laughs) It's, It's very much like... A principal A character talks to principal B character. Okay, what's what's the plot next? Principal C character comes in and says, "Like, okay, now we have the next thing. Let's go." Do 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 do. And I have a I have a pretty active imagination, so for me, I can imagine Ravnica. I can again look at the card art, just like A.E. said, yeah, and be able to put myself in that space. I I have as a reader, I happen to be really really good at that. But I think for a lot of a lot of people who maybe don't have that hyperactive imagination. Uh, something that we we actually see a lot in this day and age of people they struggle to to separate real from or they struggle to delve into the fantasy as much. I, I think I think you might lose that reader. Yeah, I think uh, we certainly have being Vorthoses and being people who do a lot of research for this podcast. Um, we you know we, we've read the art book, we've read all the stories, we we know to some extent like the setting of these characters. What I'm seeing here, it's like if we were to compare this book to, say, like a piece of jewelry, the characters are like the beautiful gems that you see being set in there. There is almost no setting for this thing. So it's almost like the the gems are kind of almost floating in space next to each other and you kind of progress along the line. Again, that sounds awesome to me. There's another Hugo Award, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) His character development and the way that he's developing these characters is amazing. Yeah. As everybody here knows, I am not a fan of Gideon. I'm not a fan like, of Chandra. I love this Gideon. Like, I think the Gideon from this novel is um, way more grown. Like, we get to see into his head a little bit more than I think we usually do. And I, um, I like this Gideon. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm only like at this point. I'm only like 65 pages into the story, and I'm, I'm hoping that I come around on Chandra. Speaking of Gideon and Chandra, she describes him thusly: the unrelenting juggernaut with unerring sense of justice and washboard abs. And I, that's a direct quote. Yep, he does have washboard abs. And we can wash many clothing pieces on his abs. And I'm sure he would let you do it. This story is very, very clear on Gideon's physique. Uh, we weren't exaggerating very much in our summary. But also, this brings me to the second reason why I think that we're seeing some Shakespearean influences in this story, in that it's, it's written in the way people speak nowadays. This is not written in any sort of fantasy convention. People use modern turns of phrase. They use modern ways of talking to each other, even colloquial ways of talking to each other, and, and which is what Shakespeare did. He just spoke to the common man. And I think it is appropriate to discuss who you think the target market is. And I, I do think just an average reader would be one of them, not one necessarily who's read a lot of fantasy. Yeah. I, I would actually say a magic inundated average reader like it, to me it reads almost like young adult fiction it which does. is not a read i don't think that this is a bad thing i love young adult fiction but it's it's a it's an easier read yep. it's smooth and it's clean it's so, very very digestible i uh, think maybe middle grade is. yeah i got that impression when i read about the farty 
Pack Beast in paragraph like the, one, the third the chapter, chapter. <laughs> and and the like the plumbing and Teo's thinking that the plumbing had something to do with plums, but it has nothing to do with plums. Then why is it called plumbing? Words are confusing. Oh, oh, my sweet cinnamon roll, Teo. What do we think of Teo so far? I think he's really sweet, and he's sixteen or seventeen, and he has so much to learn about the world. Yeah, we'll see. I do like how he began. Like I, his his teacher said, "You're you're terrible at this tale." But then once he got away from his teachers and no one knew he was bad at, he, he started to be very good at it. Yeah, so. it turns out like sometimes you just need to change your location to, in order to clear your mind and to find out who you are. So, an urban like exchange program as as we're seeing here with Teo, it, it probably is for the best. You need the inspiration of a blue Lazatep death murder machine bearing down on you. Oh yeah, no. You get so it. much That's inspiration it. at that point. I did like at the very beginning when Teo planes walks to Ravnica, he's like, Where where am I? And then you you know, Rat comes along in and, and then like Rat is talking like in paragraphs at a time and Teo's like, I I I and then he just keeps on getting cut off by Rad. Yeah. And then when they finally get a get around to like Teo doesn't know where he is, but he still thinks he's on I want to say Golgotha. <laughs> he's on Gorbakon. Gorbakon. I keep no, wanting to say Gorbachev. No right. <laughs> Go back on. Gorbakon. 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 Yeah. It's not it's I always want to say Gorbachev, but I'm like no, nah, he's he's no longer relevant. <laughs> And, and there's uh, the the from that point the exposition of of like I'm I'm actually not on my home plane anymore and I you know where am I and what just happened and then I I thought it was kind of cute how Rat came in and like filled in on the details. Yeah, I won't lie. I think Rat might be my favorite character of this novel. I'm about three quarters of the way through, and I love Rat. I think Rat is. Adorable, but I also think so far she's a little convenient. She's, oh no, she's a plot pusher. She's she's just she is basically like, hello, I am I am a pair of talking plot rails, and I am here to whisk you off to the next thing. No, I, I think I think that character is very important. I'm a little. I don't believe we get a rat card. Is there? An, is there an? Arthur? We don't no, have a rat uh, card. Uh, we Greg. do have a card with a rat on it. <laughs> Uh, she is a thief who has wears bells, and I thought that was a odd detail, but it becomes very obvious why later. Um, I well, think she might represent kind of the citizen of Ravnica. She's the only non-planeswalker, basically. In and the she's cast. also non-gilded. Non-gilded. Okay. If I remember correctly, Greg Weissman, uh, when he went on the uh, Daily MTG show, uh, he cre- he created Rat. He did. Yep. And he created Rat exactly for expository purposes. Like the people who are new to Ravnica who don't know, just like Teo doesn't know where he is. It's his first time on Ravnica. Rat acts as that plot device to show Teo and everybody else like what Ravnica is like. And well, Teo I, was also created by Greg Wiseman. I, I think the point that you're making about Rat being an expository device, a very needed expository device, kind of goes back to um, the idea of this really feeling a lot like a screenplay, right? Because when you're watching a movie or there's a drama going on, you you need to have that relentless 
push forward. And that's kind of the, the word I would use to sort of describe the general feel of the novel so far. It's relentless. It's like, we're, we've got to keep going. We, we've got a deadline to push. We've got 200 characters. We've got at least three to four dragons happening here, depending on whether or not you want to count Sarkin. And we've got to make it happen. I actually think the other purpose that she, she serves is she's the relatable character. Yes. I think for any solid reading, you need a character that any reader can get behind and be like, oh, I'm kind of like this character. Yeah, Teo and is that too. Oh no. Te- Teo I relate to Obnixilis. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> so We're not down. there yet. But continue, Bob. <laughs> um, I, I think Teo has it a little bit, but um, I think Rat is this character who's always looking on. She's never seen, which is exactly, I think, the way a lot of readers feel feel when they read stories. Ah, that, that is, yeah, yeah <laughs> we are is, spoiler written. Yeah, well, no, she feels unseen. Oh, she feels unseen, right? Right. She yeah. was happy that uh, Teo noticed her. Um, to complete my earlier thought, uh, certainly I have read some uh, critiques by other people online, uh, and they felt like they somehow the writing didn't jive with them. And again, I think it's because this was written towards the middle grade reader level with the idea that um, most anyone could pick it up and read it. Uh, There are some things, and we won't do spoilers, which um, were definitely meant for me as an enfranchised Vorthos player, which I um, enjoyed very much. We'll get to those later. Yeah, I Um, I think that there are definitely really good um, story moments as a book so far. I I guess when I think of a, when I heard about a novel that is going to be encompassing this, encapsulating this giant event in magic history, this is the culmination of about four years of of, of magic lore. Like this, I I started playing Magic the Gathering right around Origins, which is exactly when the Gatewatch arc begins. So for me, this is a huge deal. So when when I heard about this, I actually came into magic from a like science fiction to fantasy genre like reading background so i'm really familiar with like joe abercrombie and Django wexler and brandon sanderson and and uh, like nk jemison and connie willis and this is a very different style this is that. a very different style so i i was expecting honestly something kind of a little bit almost like george r, r. martin because it's a sort of first person i think of when i try to think of like who else writes multi-person perspective stories and also manages to have t- t- cram tons of characters within his writing it, it reminds me a little bit of his writing style but as ae and others have said it's it's almost like baby down to like a seventh grade level so there are however some lines in here which were written directly for me i'm pretty sure quote liliana possessed no necromancy powerful enough to bring back her younger self I thought that was a delightful line. She's yeah. kind of thinking, well, maybe at some point I could have felt sorry for them, but I forget it. Yeah, <laughs> Not now. I, I think that the descriptions and characterizations of the of the characters and planeswalkers that we see here, they're consistent. I think they are overall, each character appears to be consistent with the depictions that we've seen in previous uh, magic storylines. For example, like 
Jace is still, you know, empathetic and still like wants to connect with people like we see on Ixalan. The details are, are what gets a little bit fuzzy, but I think that with a story like this that's covering so much, I can kind of almost forgive that because we've got so much to get through. Like Liliana, like Gideon, you know, like we, we saw a lot of small, quiet moments between the two of them in Dominaria that we just don't have time for in this particular book. So even though like I miss Dominaria getting in a little bit here, but I understand why that version of Gideon didn't make it to this particular uh, draft because it's just too much. He's got to, he's got to go kill a dragon. Like he's he's got stuff to do. I mean, there were traces of character change in the Dominaria Gideon. And I think there are traces of character change in this one as well. For instance, when he, acknowledged that he couldn't save all the children he had to focus on something else so he called a retreat or something like that there are there are are moments of it um and i to be fair i think it was a little bit subtle in dominaria as well but a big change is him using the black blade yeah and i think that that's sort of his whole thing about using the black blade uh what i find interesting about this iteration of gideon is that he's gotten to the point where He's no longer thinking in broad strategic terms. He is just focused on tactics. I am one of the many. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, he says he's not a master technician, tactician or a general or even a sergeant at that. Maybe a sergeant, but at the end of the day, he's a foot soldier. Yeah. And, you know, he's actually changed his last name to Blackblade. Yep. And what's interesting too is that at this point, it was supposed point, to be funny. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, I was <laughs> like, is that true? Blade? Is that true? I'm like, I don't remember that, but yeah. I well, don't. Well, his card name is Gideon Black. Please clap. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. So, uh, the, what I did want to mention though is that it seems that Chase is the one firmly calling the shots here. He is the one who is now the master strategist and tactician, whereas Gideon is now basically just chief executor of that plan like he understands that he is the the linchpin to making all of this work with his big stabby sword so he's gonna go do that as much as he can i have a something to say about jace yeah like i think it's just a a, a really big oversight that their bolus is on top of his citadel on top of his throne like just floating and hanging out and Jace has like all of these telepathic conversations and she's like whispering. Yeah. Like, oh, we don't want Nico Bolas to hear what we're saying. And it's like you finally get to Nico Bolas's chapter and he's like, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I've been on the party line the whole time. I've been on the party line the whole time. I've been BCC'd on all of these emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bolas, I think, is one of the I mean, granted, we have not always seen like much depth to his character until we saw Katie Wells' story for M19, but I definitely feel like he's just so full of himself right now, and it almost is like a little bit unsatisfying for me personally, because I guess I, I like my villains to be like deeply tortured inside but you know he's just so confident in his victory right now that he just wants to see people get squished around him like he doesn't really even need the eternals like oh he kind of does but he doesn't need all of this he could have just like i don't know figured out a way to harvest the sparks another i don't know a little bit more efficiently but i think he he loves just the glory and the vanity of this game 
I think he loves playing the game that there's a very slight chance he can lose. Yeah. But chances are he's not going to. Oh, I, and he I, finds entertainment. I think he's terrified of that that small chance of him losing. But, but I, it's so small. I, I think I think you say it's like an like an egg. Like a like a little hummingbird chance, egg. Like a like a little like a little gem size chance. I mean, of, I think the only time losing. we've ever actually seen his fear is in the, the Bolas origin story. Yep. At the end when he leaves Tarkir. Uh, Tarkir. I'm trying to think of the character's name now. Uh, after Yosova with Yosova. the two twins. Yeah. Yosova and the twins were like, oh, Oogie's going to trap you here. What are you going to do? And then he leaves because like, he just can't oh, take that chance. I'm due for a horn polishing. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go. Bye. I do think it's a bit rich when Liliana uh, thinks of Bolas as a psychopath. Yeah. Like, uh, come on, that's the killer calling the murderer bloody. I mean, yeah. it takes one to know the other, right? Like, but the thing I about I actually love Liliana in this story. I, I love, do Liliana. love Liliana. She's too. very on point. I I do wish that she was doing more. I understand why she's not doing more, but I wish that the narrative could place her in a slightly more active position because so far she's like, I am an angry lamp. I am standing <laughs> next to Bolas, being very angry with him. Oh my gosh. I, that that one line so when she's what feel like she's going to vomit because like Bolas is like laughing is, is maniacally like telepathically. Really? Bolas is laughing telepathically. And Liliana's like, Oh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and you will clean it with your tongue. And you will clean it up with your tongue. I'm like, ugh. What is this? An episode of the Jersey Shore? Like- yeah. Gross. Well, it's gross. I mean, that's like buying a new car and then your best friend gets drunk and pukes in the passenger seat. <laughs> oh. That's true. This is, right? She's on the Citadel. This is the episode of the Citadel. But, but. Nicol Bolas is just so King Joffrey here to make like a Game of Thrones reference. Like he's just like, behold my amazing powers. I will build a statue to myself. Exactly. I have a throne. I will make you clean up your puke with your own face. Most powerful villain in the multiverse. Not the best artist or sculptor. No. I mean, (laughs) mean, uh, that line of just vanity of like, oh, maybe I'll bring a statue too. Like, yeah, just Boom. it's like Statue. a secondary thought. Like we had thought that it was like a, a a trial flunkies attempt at a statue that they just pulled it through the the planar yeah, the, portal. The Eternals were like, "Hey, boss, we we wanted we know that you're like moving into a new office, so and, we want to get you a housewarming gift. And you're really into yourself, <laughs> <laughs> so we got you the statue. It also serves an executive desk toy." <laughs> So. And it vibrates. <laughs> five different fa- five different, five different settings. Well, this oh is going God. down the rabbit for, for hole. Your ego. So, um, but I did find it was interesting that Liliana from the start wanted to portray Bolas, and I, God, I guess we're not quite there yet. We're not okay. quite there yet, but I do love that Lily is just like just. I, I do love the fact that inside she's just like. I hate your face. <laughs> I want to puke. I want to kill you. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> and then, and but on the outside, she's like, "Okay, cool. We're gonna, we're gonna do this because uh, like whatever." I don't other folks, because other folks do see her, like Gideon and Jason. What they see her on the epic DJ light show that is like um, 
that is Bolus's like yes. throne mm-hmm. slash stadium. He basically creates a stage for himself where he is the main singer. Liliana is playing the bass, and Tesseret is shredding on a keyboard. Like and, that's basically what's happening. And here. inverting into his own body, which is a like when he planes walks, he yeah. like in in inverts himself into his in into his stomach, which is like really weird but really metal we aren't gonna get into this too deeply here because it, it relates to some things we uh, discussed previously and then later we'll have to discuss again in relax but gideon in these early scenes does feel like he owes the universe a death because he oh, yeah. survived with all when his all his friends died due to his hubris i know but so i'm can't just let it like go. like my 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 beautiful muscly sweet like hamburger patty man like you need to get over this shit. Like, yeah. this is not a healthy way we of living. We will return to this in later in yeah. later segments. We'll, we'll return to get that. Get a therapist. Yes. Do some volunteer work, you know? Like, that, oh, he's doing he volunteer work. He's, he's been doing well, volunteer work for a for really this. long time. Well, volunteer work, like, you know, be the, the village washboard. And <laughs> Justin's just hoping he takes a turn as a village bicycle. <laughs> I was just imagining, Calm like, out. wow, okay, yeah, on I can't talk Faden on a deck. Yeah, oh, yeah, Dak Faden just kind of appears. I, I love literally his appears and falls flat on and his face. I love how he's like, he's too embarrassed to admit. I don't think this happens to other planeswalkers, but I'm not gonna ask. <laughs> well, he just he like gets up real fast and he's like, no, just did looks anyone see me? Did anyone see me? Sure no, nobody. No. Saw him. <laughs> Maybe that's why his hand is so red that he's so embarrassed, but he's so good at controlling his emotion that only his hand blushes. Oh, that's a really good theory. So I wasn't too familiar with Dag Faden, but I love his interplay with his uh, Orzov fence, and he's like, "Why well, keep needing to pay this debt off?" And the Orzov. Uh, debtor keeps on saying, "Oh, I wouldn't want to overcharge you, Dak, but it's just the principle of the thing." And Dak's like, I, "He means the principle interest, that punk." Yeah, no, it's it's great. Although the thing is, like, I'm not sure what purpose Dak Vaden serves so far, but we'll see as we progress throughout the book. Yeah, yeah with the way the spoilers red... came out, I thought it was going to be early and gruesome. But... Is he wearing a red shirt? Oh, his hand is his red. Hand, his whole hand is red. His yeah, whole hand. I, we'll, we'll get into that next week as we start talking about stuff. Also things, things, especially that the immortal sun has been placed um, over the towers of New Prov. Yep. Yep. So, although, well, Liliana does do something in that she chooses not to act right away. She's we do see her continue to choose herself above others, and she doesn't believe that joining the Gate Watch at this point is well, because she'll instantly die. That's why. So she choose, she makes a choice not to engage Bolas, although she does want to kill him. Uh, we see her continue to choose herself first, and quote, uh, she wasn't one to accept her fate. And well, we that, that's a common theme with Bolas lackeys. I mean, not that I think it's lackey is ever a term we would use for for Liliana in general, but in this case. She's a lackey, yeah, right? We saw it very early with Raul Zarek and and um, we saw it with Sarkon. Oh, and with Frasca. When when I read the line uh, that Raul Zarek like fried Frasca so bad that Frasca like planes walked away, I was just like, oh, Michelle, is Michelle okay? So, <laughs> I need to check so in on I, Michelle's I, emotional well being right now. <laughs> But by the time I got to that part, like, Michelle had read the story four times over. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, have we gotten to, uh, 
Ral's, Ral's, you know, Ral's uh, just guy's friend. Oh yes, yes. It's, it's like just, pretty you know, much just immediately. Just some guys hanging out. I I am so happy that we have a canonically gay planeswalker. Like it makes me really, really, really happy. I li- I want to put their cards next to each other and like have them enact cute domestic scenes. Like I'm home, Tomic. I I was out all day, you know, experimenting with the Izzet. And Tomic's like, well, I was able to get my thrall to make us some dinner. It's like, oh yes, what's it this time? Oh, it's a lovely ravnica casserole dish. Don't and, ask where the mushrooms came from. And if you're wondering if we're reading something intuitive, it's maybe a little subtle. No. No. They're super gay. They're super gay. Hooray. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and thank you for having representation. I really want to be, them to be on a card together one day. If I want them to have a partner mechanic, <coughs> I want them to, like, have a beautiful wedding. This is how gay Ral is. Quote, Gideon cut a figure that was difficult to forget. Bam. Yeah, Ral is super thirsty for Gideon. Like... Super thirsty. <laughs> but Gideon's thirsty for every lady on the plane. Gideon's the, not thirsty for her. Uh, He's just thirsty for one lady. Aurelia? Aurelia, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lady, lady Justice? Wow. Wow. That, to, oh, maybe that's a spoiler. Get, that do we here. get to this point later in the book? We'll see. But I do, love, I do love how Ral is basically like, God, he's so attractive. Does this mean that I I can uh, the next? I think that the last thing we want to talk about is maybe just now the stage has been set. Right, we have all the pieces in place, and now we're gonna see thirty six planeswalkers maybe show up, and we'll mm, see more than that. More than that, I don't know. At one point, they sound sixty planeswalkers. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of planeswalkers to get through, and a lot of people to die i suppose so we will we will see how this progresses next week before we get to our closing thank yous and whatnot uh i want to give a big shout out to our very own michelle oh because michelle does most of the writing for the story summaries prior to our episodes uh she builds out the draft and then we go through it individually and and we also edit together but most of what you hear in the story summary is is Michelle. Oh, thank you. And she turns it around in generally less than 24 hours. Like, we record on Thursdays. Stories have come out in the past on Wednesdays. So she is able to put that out at a very impressive speed. Oh, thank you very much, Justin. That's and very sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. So you get all the Hugos. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I, uh, there's Hugo Grant. There's, oh, no, wait, that's Hugh Grant. Sorry. Get out of here, Hugh. Get out of here. I don't need you. <laughs> Thank there's you, Michelle. There's Victor Hugo. There's oh. a Hugo. Uh, I don't know which, I, there aren't a lot of Hugos out there. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I am also very appreciative of the fact that everybody here loves Shania Twain as much as I do. So, <laughs> so with that, I think we're going to go ahead and close that out. And... Um, Again, thank you to our wonderful uh, sponsor, Card Kingdom, for being there for us during this crazy time of World of Spark. Also, thank you to our patrons at Patreon. Thank you, patrons. Don't get harvested. Please don't get harvested. And thank you to all of our wonderful Planeswalker listeners out there. I hope that this message finds you safe and sparkful. Yes. Uh, If you see a big blue thing coming your way, uh, run the heck away. 
Just just run it away. It is a Lazatap hippo. Yeah, it's probably a Lazatap hippo. Don't look hippo. twice. It's oh my gosh. Definitely a hippo. <laughs> Did you guys see that magic ad? Hungry Hungry Zombies. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh hungry, my God, hungry I laughed so hippos. hard at work. Good job, Watsy. Good job. You got me. You got me. You got me good. And if you see Gideon feeling a little depressed and you got some like mustard stain on your shirt, you know. Ask him if you could wash it. Yes. On his beautiful, gorgeous, chiseled abs. Yes. You're actually doing him a service. Yes. It's like a hug for his abs. That's right. With that, we're going to be back next week with War of the Spark. Part Part two. two. Electric Boogaloo. Is it Electric Boogaloo? The Elder Spell Boogaloo. Ah. (laughs) The Elder Spell Boogaloo. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. I want to be host Michelle. Oh, I'm Justin. I'm AE. And I'm Bob. I almost forgot my name. All right. And we'll see you next time. Bye. That, that is another Hugo for me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much to the Academy for this great honor. Triangles. <laughs> <laughs> no.
Go on, I won't interrupt you this time, I swear. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> God damn it. I didn't say anything. Why did you... Yeah, what's your problem, Justin? Just a second. I need to blow my nose. Oh, blow so, it all out, Michelle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. All that... All that tree sex in my in my head. It's oh. happening right now. Oh my god, so gross. Okay. And that is descriptive writing. Thank you. Thanks for setting the <laughs> scene. Thank you. And what a scene it is. Thank you. Where's my where's my award? I will take wait, I'll take that Hugo. Is that is yeah, that, take is the that Hugo. Okay. It's, it's yours. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, Gideon, continue. At the right angle for them to step on. <laughs> <laughs> I added that. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Yosh. Hopefully, you found that amusing. Wow, oh, I, I, sure I was yeah. very amused. <laughs> thank you for thank you for writing the majority of that, Michelle. No worries, it's fun. It's just a lot, but most it's fun. of it being written three seconds before we were saying it. Now that's talent. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, Ae, you get wait. Is that Ae's that line? Me. You get another Hugo <laughs> Award for descriptive writing. It's Thank like you. you know those you know those you bounce you hit the the mole's heads and they bounce in and out. Yeah, That's what his like, pecs are like. They're just yeah. ping 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 ping. <laughs> Over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's all. I go ahead. I was be twirling. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I need to say <laughs> that. You say just 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 go through. Oh, I'm opening up my mouth so wide for this <laughs> for this bowl of voice, and it's yeah. coming out really funny sounding. <laughs> it's perfect. I'm in charge of the Orzov now, but I never realized destroying the patriarchy would have so much paperwork. Oh, honey, <laughs> that is not how Kaya sounds. I know. <laughs> my sultry is just not sultry. Then let's hear your sultry. Mm. Oh, oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, Justin, you just lost oh. all your Hugo Awards. Michelle just snuffed I, it. I award, I award this Hugo Award to Michelle. Yes. For the Admiral Akbar planeswalking reference. Or no, the, the packfish that has a diet that's rich in vegetables and fiber. <laughs> Please, please go ahead, Amy. Well, I'm no big, sign, I'm sure. Big death clouds that emanate. <laughs> what? Solmgar's not on this plane. Shut up, Justin. The, hey, shields, please the shields are to keep the gases in, not the diamonds out. <laughs> this is going to be a long four weeks. Oh, God. Please go ahead. It was farty, but I just, when I looked at farty, I was like, oh, no. Not on this podcast.